Hello and welcome to another episode of Clark Hill's Credit Eco to Go, Curbside Thought Leadership for Financial Services. My name is Joanne Needleman, and I'm a partner at Clark Hill, as well as a member of the firm's banking and financial services practice group. Another impressive woman is joining me today in celebration of Women's History Month. Christy Ward is the Chief Strategy Officer for Mortgage Connect. Mortgage Connect is the premier end-to-end mortgage services provider of choice for most of the nation's top lenders. She has 19 years industry experience working with lenders to develop strategy, production solutions, and streamline processes to maximize operational efficiencies and mitigate risk. Prior to Mortgage Connect, Christy has held key leadership positions with noteworthy companies, including Stewart Title. She has served on numerous industry panels and is an expert in title insurance and closing models, as well as regulatory policies and procedures. In September 2019, Christy organized and and hosted the inaugural Women Empowering Women Council event with the goal of elevating women in the industry through a network of collaboration and support. And I will tell you, it was an unbelievable event. (laughs) And Christy, I'm so honored to have you on the podcast. Uh, Well, Joanne, thank you. And uh, thanks to Clark Hill for hosting uh, today's podcast. I'm very happy uh, to be joining you here today and uh, uh, can't wait to have our time together. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I haven't talked about mortgage yet on the podcast. (laughs) And who better uh, than you to have this discussion because, boy, has mortgage and the mortgage industry been in the crosshairs of this pandemic. It has been quite a sight to see. It's been disruptive. It's been frenetic. But and in some ways, it's been positive. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the refinance rush is probably still going on. I mean, that was that was a huge, I guess, benefit for the industry uh, during the pandemic. But we also saw, obviously, a lot of people who were struggling with their mortgage, which seems to happen in every economic crisis. Um, so, you know, I, I want to get your perspective um, about the crisis today as compared to the crisis we had in 2008. And, and I will say, you know, I think that the CARES Act took a lot of lessons from the prior crisis, but I'm interested, as I said, to really hear your perspective, what the differences are. Well, you know, that's a great question, uh, Joanne. And I think, you know, compared to 2008, I, I think this has been vastly different. You know, we've been, our industry in general has been really heavily regulated um, since 2008. And a result of that is the fact that we are, we're a strong industry. Absolutely. You know, this, and, and the fact of the matter is too, you know, right now our, our loans are very clean. Uh, the loan programs have, are, have been very conservative and long gone are the days and thank goodness of no income, no asset verification and, you know, of lending beyond a safe loan to value. And for the most part, home prices have been stable or climbing. And I think all of this combined makes the mortgage industry a healthy industry right now. Uh, the crisis in 2008 was really born out of a complete 
completely different circumstance. And, you know, some of this was uh, industry provoked. I mean, there's obviously a cause and effect out of everything. Um, I think today's crises is really we're reactive, reacting to really a circumstance that was far beyond our control or anyone's control with it being a pandemic. And it's a very different time. You know, our industry has never historically gone through anything of the sort. So it's been a time of learning, but I think there've been a great, a lot of great lessons learned out of this too. And a lot of innovation that's been fostered in this environment. I couldn't agree. I I think that that has been you know, is there an upside to a pandemic? Probably not. But I think forcing the financial services industry and the mortgage industry in, in particular into technology, I think, as you're right, has been a really positive thing. I know Mortgage Connect really has been on the forefront of that, but uh, and that probably positions you very well uh, during this time. But I agree. I think that technology, and there's no going back. I mean, we, we, yeah. we committed and now we're going to move forward. And I think that's only going to be beneficial for borrowers uh, in the future. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and again, I think, you know, uh, luckily at Mortgage Connect, we, you know, we were working on some innovation on the servicing side a couple of years ago. Little did we know that we would be in the type of market. I don't think anyone could have planned or imagined uh, what we would be going through. So it was fortuitous um, that we had, you know, prepared more than we even known that we had. Well, that's good. That is good. So let me ask you, so, so that's some of the, a little bit of the upside and, and some of the, the challenges that the industry has faced. Let me talk specifically about the CARES Act and, and some of the, the, the governmental mandates that occurred around mortgages. And in particular, obviously, I'm talking about the deferments and forbearance. And there was this kind of, you know, knee-jerk reaction that, you know, you've got to offer these deferments, there's got to be forbearance. And and I, I recall when it first happened, a lot of my clients were struggling because we get you know, a press release or we watch on CNN that is happening, <laughs> but we yeah. didn't get a whole lot of other information and really feeling our way in the dark of, of figuring out what to do. And I'm wondering, you know, what your experience was was with that, because you work on both sides. You work with a lot of lenders, you work with a lot of servicers. It must have been very, very difficult. Yeah, it was definitely feeling our way in the dark is, is really an understatement. But And all I think, you know, the industry was dealt a very tough card uh, Mm -hmm. where deferments and forbearances are concerned. You know, there was little to no notice for the servicers to prepare for the situation. And I think given the circumstances, they did a great job of getting done what had to get done and handling the onslaught of volume that they did in such a short amount of time. I do believe, however, that it really shed light on uh, what I think really needs to change in our industry. You know, if you think about... Um, if you think about the mortgage industry in general, on the origination side of mortgage, you can go online, you can get a mortgage online, you can upload your documents, you get digital communication about what's next in the process. And now you can even close your loan online. So there is so much innovation that has happened on the front end side of the industry on the origination process, but we kind of fall off a cliff as an industry 
when we get to the servicing side, you know, a lot of the a lot of the large servicers and banks, you know, they they have all disparate systems that don't speak to each other. They have 800 numbers with phone banks of people where consumers have to call in to do a lot of the work that it could be very easily digitally automated. And I think prior to the pandemic, there just wasn't a whole lot of focus on more uh, digital innovation on the servicing side. Um, I think that now that we were forced down this path um, with having to move so quickly um, to get forbearances and deferrals and a lot of the uh, things in place for the consumers that we had to, that it's forced some digital innovation, but I still think we have a very long way to go where that's concerned. Again, you can go online and get a rate calculator to tell you exactly what your rate and payments are going to be on a mortgage. And all of this is very consumer friendly and done online. You know, we need to take that same approach to servicing where consumers are concerned with, you know, what is a deferral? What is a forbearance? And what, what are some of the, you know, I think it's a combination of educating the consumers so they know what these items are. We can't take for granted that they all know the difference in a deferral, a forbearance, a loan modification. And we have some responsibility as an industry to help better educate the consumer. But we also need to make this a little easier for the consumer too in terms of digital innovation. You know, a lot of servicers are now moving down this self-serve portal route where there's more innovation where the consumer can go online. Uh, but we need to be able to show a consumer what that means for them in terms of their you know, longer term payments and terms and make it easy to understand. And, and so I think we have some work to do there. But I think, you know, I think that's one of the things that we, you know, as an industry are now focused on. And I think it's going to help everyone in the end game get better, you know, so um, I probably went on a bit long about that. <laughs> so well said, so well said. And it touches on some common themes that that that, have, that impact all financial services. You talk about self-service. That is such a hot topic now in the debt collection space because of the new rules that have come out. And right. it's clear, and, and that's been an industry that has unfortunately not had an opportunity to embrace technology because of the regulatory scheme that is involved. But the, the Bureau and the CFPB have come out with rules and there's there's a potential uh, where there'll be more, you know, there will be regulation, at least it'll be more defined. But it is clear from this regulation and some of the consumer protections that are baked into it that self-service is definitely going to be the way to go. It's going to minimize right. risk. And I have to think in the mortgage industry, the same thing. It's so, to your point, how does, how do you really educate a consumer? How do you know for each consumer whether a loan modification is the best way to go? Right, exactly. Or whether they should do a deferral or a forbearance. And I think there's been a lot of confusion around that. And again, we have the tools as a mortgage industry. We have calculators. We have smart workflows. We yeah. have things, and, and we've done things to work with servicers to innovate that piece. Unfortunately, it came 
post-pandemic, not pre-pandemic. Right. And, and, you know, I, I still think we have a long, a long way to go. But, you know, customers are more digital now. They're more, they want to do more online in the convenience of their home on their time frame. And we've got to morph this sector of the business into uh, being much more consumer facing and friendly in a more digital universe. You know, absolutely. I, I think a takeaway from the pandemic I see is, you know, we've treated consumers, you know, they say in the, in, in the consumer finance space, we call it the least sophisticated consumer. I think that's really insulting because yeah. you know what? Consumers are sophisticated and they care very, very much about their financial well-being, their financial status. And as you say, what we saw in this pandemic is this desire for technology. Everybody was sitting at home. Right. Uh, everybody was on their computer or everybody was on their phone and they were willing to to investigate and to research and 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 make it. What was amazing to me, the amount of outbound uh, or I would say outbound outreach by consumers to financial services companies was unprecedented. Yeah. Because they were concerned. Oh, my God, I don't have my job. I'm working from home. I got to pay my rent. I have to pay this credit card. And, and I think that the industry, to your point, did a really good job. I think it was very, very clear from the beginning. We were here to help. Right. And, but there's so much that consumers could have done on their own. And the traditional, as you say, the 300 people call center and trying to do a one size fits all for every consumer, as we saw in this pandemic, is not going to work. No. And it's not going to work in the future. And, you know, there's some great campaigns out there. Um, not okay. That's okay. You know, I think we've got to be better about discussing these things with consumers too and educating, you know, it's unprecedented the amount of people that had to reach out for hardship. And right. so right. getting the consumer comfortable too with just that process. We have mm-hmm. a ways to go, but yeah. it's an important piece of getting our consumers to where they're financially healthy. And so I think as an industry, um, it's an exciting time because it is a time of change for us. And I think we can do great things if we spend some more focused time after COVID's over, really uh, moving the needle on this side of the house. I couldn't agree with you more. So, I mean, it's a good segue to talk about what do we, you know, I agree. I think there's a lot of optimism and opportunity about new ways of doing things. But I also think there's significant challenges for your industry and for the mortgage industry as we come out of COVID. And I'm I'm interested to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, uh, there's definitely significant challenges as as we move out of COVID. You know, we are certainly, um, we're going to be in a raising, uh, in a rising rate environment. And and that's going to impact volumes for our industry. And it's actually going to slow the industry down a bit. I think as we come out of COVID and we're in these higher rates, you know, these higher mortgage rates, it's going to slow volume down. And then I think you've got that dynamic on the front end origination side. And at the same time, there's a lot of uncertainty with what's going to happen with the foreclosure moratoriums and how much government intervention there's going to be there. Um, I I think our industry is going to be, you know, dealing with um, 
I'll, you know, potentially programs that, again, um, keep a borrower out of, of foreclosure. And I think that's going to be a challenge for our industry. Again, I think, um, you know, innovation is never easy and, and things that sometimes put us on a better path are hard to get to. But I think for the most part, you know, we're going to have to morph who we are um, in this industry on the servicing side. And I think it's not going to stop as we come out of COVID. And, um, you know, but I still believe that um, we have positive things to look forward to within that change. But with lower volumes and, and there's going to be a lot of focus on cost per loan. And, you know, I, I think our industry, you know, we've had some uh, we've had some large sales happen. We've had a lot of these non-banks go public. I think it's going to be a really interesting time in the mortgage space as volumes start to go down. Yeah, I agree with you. Although, I, I mean, I did read in Wall Street Journal yesterday um, that they do not believe that we're, we're near a bubble in real estate and that there is still a desire uh, to purchase real estate. I can't speak about refi, yeah. but there's still a desire because inventory is so low uh, yeah. for people to purchase real estate. And, and especially when I say people, I say, you know, consumers and borrowers per, per purchasing residential homes. There's still a high demand there. So it's yeah. going to be interesting. I think that it's competing forces for, for what I'm hearing you correctly. Well, I definitely think there it, it is because you're going to have a fall off of, of refinance volume. But I do believe the purchase market is healthy um, mm-hmm. and there's certainly demand there in in the market. So, you know, depending on the rate environment, I mean, if the rates tick up too much, that that demand's going to slow a little bit or affordability is going to be impacted, obviously. But I, I don't think we're going to be there this year, at least hopefully not. So there's going to be a good counterbalance, hopefully to the fall off in refinances and um, you know hopefully we won't be but I, what I will say is that I think home values have been again very stable since uh, we went through the 2008 crises and and certainly have been on the rise and so we are in no way in a bubble in my opinion um, from in real estate so I think we're in really good shape. Well, I appreciate all of that great advice. Um, to round out the conversation, I, I can't I can't not ask or I can't not touch upon uh, your Women Empowering Women initiative, which was so great. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about, number one, why you started the group and where the group is headed. Well, I, you know, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. <laughs> we only have a limited amount of time, but, you know, I, I really, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be placed on, on some of the, you know, top 50 women in banking lists that our industry has. And I took the opportunity to really talk with some of my peers as I got put on this list. And, you know, there were some events that we were on that we all came together at. And it was interesting to me that as I got together with some of my executive peers in the industry, that there really wasn't an identifiable outlet for executive women for like a peer group in our industry. And there are a lot, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of great outlets for women in mortgage banking. And not only do we have some great ones, but we even need more of those. But what I really thought would be helpful for my peer group was more of a smaller, more intimate peer-to-peer collaborative group. 
And, you know, so I took a stab at pulling these women together. And what happened was really kind of magic. And it's taken on a life of its own. You know, it started as a weekend retreat for about 50 women. And it's turned into this collaborative industry impacting team of women who help each other in every way. And it's been amazing to sit back and watch this. I mean, we meet monthly on Zoom now, obviously. Um, we haven't, we didn't have our annual retreat last year, but no. hopefully at the end of September, we'll be able to gather again. But, you know, even as we went into COVID, you know, we got on calls once and twice a month and shared best practices, how to tackle some of the challenges in the market. And we took on some pretty big, you know, things as a team and we're able to roll out some some you know things that in my opinion were industry changing and I believe you know I, I've always loved the saying you know never doubt what a small committed group of people can do to change the world indeed it's the only thing that ever has I believe in our small group that we have the opportunity to really make positive impactful change in in the industry and what I love too about this group is nothing's off the table in terms of topics for this group. And it's been very refreshing to see the openness and the candor in the conversations and the trust that's been built. Um, So we're excited about, you know, we brought some up and coming women into the group so we can help mentor and shepherd along other women as they go on their climb. Um, Because I think a lot of us feel like we made a ton of mistakes along the way. And, you know, if our, um, you know, maybe hopefully our learnings can, can be a part of something they don't have to experience. So it's been it's been really wonderful, and uh, I really appreciate you asking me about Absolutely. that. Absolutely, it wasn't ins- your your inaugural event wasn't inspiration. It was certainly an inspiration to me, and, and I agree. There's there's lots of wonderful women's organizations, and uh, but this was something. I think the uniqueness about this was that it was executive women. Um, yeah. There's a lot of organizations out there that are helping younger women you know, elevate, which is terrific. And we need to be doing that because you and I both know none of that was there when we were started, you know, in no. our No, unfortunately we had but to we do it alone. Right, exactly. But, you know, we are in the later stages of our career and we've, our careers have been established, which is wonderful. Um, but there's unique issues that we have at this stage of our career. So having that, as you say, peer-to-peer opportunity was extraordinarily helpful um, and really enlightening because, you know, you kind of feel like you're, you're, you're out there by yourself. Yeah. And, you know, here you are sitting in a group of, of, of women, of eight women, and everybody's going through the same thing. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> Uh, well, it was great. Well, I, I, you know, I'm glad it's still going strong and uh, I, I'm a huge fan. And uh, Christy, I can't thank you enough uh, for coming onto the podcast and, and giving your insight and sharing your thoughts. So important for our listeners. Uh, but before I let you go, I, I, I do ask a little <laughs> bit from my guests because it wasn't enough that you spend some time uh, enlightening us and sharing your expertise, but uh, have a couple questions for you that we ask all our guests on the podcast. And I think the first one, which is, you know, uh, typical of, of what we've all been going through is that we've all been sheltering in place for a year. We've all been working from home. And oh, yeah. so I'm always curious to hear from my guests an experience, uh, a unique experience that, that has happened uh, while you've been sheltering in place. And I hope you have something you can share. Well, 
definitely. You know, one of the things, you know, I, I, some parts of me, I think, have become better as, as I've sheltered in place. And it's been interesting how it's changed me um, as a person. Um, a great example, my dad's birthday um, was April 11th of last year, and he was turning uh, 76 years old. And we hadn't been able to see him. I mean, obviously, he's elderly, as is my mom. And um, we hadn't seen him for a few months. And it was a sad time. I mean, I think everybody misses their loved ones during uh, our lockdown. And, you know, we spoke on the phone every day. And he talked about how much he missed us. And he talked about how much he missed the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. Uh, and his birthday was approaching. So we knew we wanted to celebrate his birthday, but we didn't know what we could actually do. We're like, well, I mean, we could take a cake over and leave it on the front porch or <laughs> send a video. And, and sending a video just seems so impersonal for, right. you know, for his birthday. Um, so we decided that we were going to do a parade. Um, he, they live on a small street. It's about a quarter of a mile in a circle. It's a really short little circle. And so we decided that we would do a parade uh, in our cars um, of all the children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren. We flew, we, we threw in some friends and some relatives to boot. And um, so we got, we all got in our cars. We had these great like posters and balloons and these great messages and well wishes and drawings on all the posters. And I think we even had a motorcycle in the parade. I think we had about 20 cars. <laughs> and so he didn't know any of this was happening. And we called him and told him to come out to the driveway. And uh, the lead vehicle was blaring the song happy birthday and um as we drove around the corner and my dad saw us and my dad is one of these guys you know he never cries he's always the strong one you know he stood there just frozen with like tears rolling down his cheeks and he had the most gracious big smile I, I think I've ever seen and uh, the cars are driving by and honking and flashing lights and grandchildren were hanging out of their windows with these big toothless grins saying I love you Papa and him reaching out with his arms like he was hugging them and you know I, I just realized in that moment what a special moment it was and then we had neighbors coming out of their houses and applauding and I as we we circled several times and I noticed as I drove around just this proud look on my dad's face and I said to myself this is one of the most special moments in my dad's life I could feel it it was it was really palatable and I thought no, you know what? This is one of the most special moments in my life, too. And seeing this beautiful tribute to someone I love in such a special way. And, you know, it, it, it made me stop and think, you know, we get so busy now, Joanne, that none of us stop to celebrate life's moments enough. We get so busy with everything that we have to do in the day-to-day -day that we don't take a chance to just stop and breathe and celebrate life's little moments. And once they're gone, they're gone. And, you know, I think to a large degree, it's forever changed me. You know, that one gesture that seems so small and really even when we were planning it, I thought, boy, this is really kind of insignificant. But once we had the moment, I thought, 
I'm never going to let another birthday of his go by that it's not a grand celebration because we never know what when our when our last day, no matter how young or old you may be, might be. And so, you know, I think through the pandemic, I have a clear lens of, of what's important and I want to celebrate every moment. So it was a great it was a great day. And um, such so a wonderful. Awesome. Yeah, such a wonderful story, Christy. Thank you. You're right. Um, you're absolutely right. And, uh, it is the smaller moments now that we really have to appreciate and maybe in some ways the pandemic was forced us to do that. So that's a good thing. That is, thank you. And finally, um, so I started this podcast for a whole host of reasons, but one of it was, I, in, in addition to meeting up with my guests and, 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 and talking about, you know, important issues for our industry, you know, there was a lot going on around us and there were a lot of people who were suffering uh, around us during this pandemic. So I did want to have some sort of a, a charity element to the podcast. And um, initially when we started, you know, the whole idea of food insecurity and, and watching on the news of car line upon car line of people, you know, who had no food, I thought was just really heartbreaking. So initially, yeah. I would ask my guests to identify food banks or anything that were, were helping people uh, re- related to hunger. We've expanded that because the pandemic has impacted people on, on all different levels. And so we ask our guests to identify a regional, local, uh, or national organization that is just helping people as a whole who have been impacted. And I'm wondering if you have a, um, an organization you can identify. Yes, so we have in, uh, where I live, Johnson City, Tennessee, we have Good Samaritan uh, Ministries. And they have done such a great job through the pandemic of helping the people that need help here in the area. You know, they provide emergency assistance for rent, for food and utilities. Um, they serve, uh, they've been serving meals uh, around the area, handing out food, um, and really uh, even helping, um, you know, with employee assi- employment assistance and uh, working with the area's homeless shelters as well. So it's a, a great charity that's doing a lot of great work here in East Tennessee and uh, would love um, to be a part of, of that. That's great. Absolutely. And, and you're seeing so much of that. You're seeing so many um organizations pivoting. I mean, they, they focused on one thing, but this pandemic has, as we've said, has impacted people on so many different levels. And it's wonderful to see how they have evolved and worked with people in the community. You know, when you say they do, you know, job interviews and training, absolutely. You know, that's not something that people, you know, were thinking about uh, a year ago, but there, there's had to be, people had to pivot so much. And, uh, Great choice. We are happy to identify them. And we're happy to make a donation on your behalf. And Christy, I want to thank you again for coming on to the podcast. And many thanks to our loyal Credit Eco to Go listeners for tuning in and logging on. All episodes of Credit Eco to Go can be found on Buzzsprout and Spotify. Information on our podcast can be found on my ClarkHill.com bio page, as well as on my LinkedIn homepage. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have ideas for future show topics, please email us at creditego at ClarkHill.com. Thank you, be well, and stay safe.
This podcast is intended for general education and informational purposes only, and should not be regarded as either legal advice or a legal opinion. You should not act upon or use this publication or any of its contents for any specific situation. Recipients are cautioned to obtain legal advice from their legal counsel with respect to any decision or course of action contemplated in a specific situation. Clark Hill PLC and its attorneys provide legal advice only after establishing an attorney-client relationship through a written attorney-client engagement agreement. This recording does not establish an attorney-client relationship with any recipient.